Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. His name, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, Life Church. Good morning. I feel the spirit so deeply through the worship. Honestly, it was incredible. We could have just like finished then. We are so full. Having said that, the power of the Holy Spirit is hugely important, but I come to you this morning born and raised a Baptist, okay? I'm just going to be clear. So last night, your amazing pastors, pastors Andrea and Amari, uh, fed me and and hosted, and it was a feast, but I'm not going to lie, there were a lot of Baptist jokes, okay? A lot, not just one or two, they went on all night. And that doesn't really matter, Baptist, you know, Holy Spirit. It doesn't really matter. We come as a priesthood of all believers, right? And I'm here to minister the gospel in any way I can as a child of God. But if I wanted to speak in tongues, honestly, my uncle and my father founded the first Ukrainian Baptist church in Edmonton, Alberta. So my sister who's here today, we grew up in a church that had two uh, sermons, one in Ukrainian and one in English. And when I went with my older sister over to the Ukraine, we'd go to various churches, and they expected us to speak Ukrainian because we are, we are Ukrainian, 100%. So, like, speak Ukrainian. And when we tried to speak Ukrainian, they, get, they said, okay, that's okay, you can do English. Okay, so I'm going to do English today, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will anoint his message for you today and that I can just be a conduit. God loves you so much. Um, When I was with your pastors last night, they love you so much. They care for you. Um, They are committed to you. And because they love you, I love you. There's nothing more precious in this cultural moment than the bride of Christ. It's taken a lot of hits, a lot of hits. And culture is trying to say, we don't need this body. But Christ said, this is the rock. This is the rock that will sustain the gospel message through all cultures. And right now, particularly now that you have chosen to be here this morning, is important, it's significance, it's your yes. And why I'm here this morning is just because I said yes. I've just said yes as much as I could all my life. Not equipped all the time, not feeling certain all the time, but I just said yes. And I think that's part of the battle. So I woke up this morning, I was staying at our friends, Pastor John and Pastor Helen Burns, and I saw the ocean. I thought, I wonder what my husband of 37 years is doing this morning. I know what he's doing. He's out on the water on his stand-up paddleboard before church. He gets out there at 6 o'clock. And this is because we realized that our, the, as the first numbers of our ages kept turning and getting bigger and bigger, and eventually both our first numbers started with a 6, we thought, we're getting, getting old. I prefer to say we're seasoned, but we're old. Like, we got to do something. We got to make our life. We got to pretend we're young. So, my husband said, I'm going to start stand up paddleboarding. So, he goes out and gets all the gear, the full, you know, bodysuit, the matching glasses, like the. And he gets out there and it's like, he looks ridiculous, but he's going to feel safe. Eventually, he lost all that. But what he did keep was his app. So, with this app, you can, you can see, okay, is the water calm? It's a one, I'm going out. If it's a nine, I'm not going. The swells are too big, I'm gonna fail. And it's good because I get to see the app, I get to, he sends me where he's going and I can keep track of him because yes, he is not young anymore, he is seasoned and I don't wanna lose him. So I was just thinking about that this morning. You know, we don't have 
an app for life. We get out of bed. We don't know what's coming. We can't test the waters. We can't put our feet on the floor and predict what's going to happen that day. There's nothing to tell us what we're in or what's coming next. And how are we going to stay up on our board when all we want to do is fall? We've lost our footing. The waves are too big. It's a tsunami. And for all of us that are here today, we are still standing. But we've come through some horrendous waves. We've come through a tsunami. And some people didn't make it through the pandemic because they were headed in the wrong direction before the pandemic hit. And when a tsunami hits, it comes, and usually it's an event that comes, and then it's over. And then you're left with cleaning up the mess, right? You have to get the emotional help because it's been traumatic. You have to build your house again, same floor plan, or you're going to live somewhere different. You have to find the relationships that have been lost. And we know over the last couple years, we have had so many broken relationships. This church, you're here today, so many churches didn't survive. And so we rebuild, but the way we rebuild in this season is going to determine the kind of life we live on the next. And trust me, there's another wave coming, if not today, tomorrow. So how are you going to stay standing on this paddleboard? You didn't ask for the waves. You didn't plan for the waves. You'd rather not go out there. The app says, don't go. It's dangerous. But you have to go because you have a yes on your heart, and you need to put your faith into action and get out there. We will not allow the church, the bride, to die on our watch, right? We won't do it. So as we think about this tsunami life and re rebuilding, um, I just think about this gravitational force, you know, what keeps you up on the board? And uh, Pastor Bari read from the book of Philippians, which is my favorite book in the Bible. And Paul gives us so many good truths in that book because he was in the middle of really a pandemic life himself. The waves were all around him. Everything he had planned had not gone to plan at all. He could have sunk way under, but he gives us word that, words that translate all the cultures, all the histories, all the world wars. Today, we can feast on his words and say, I can take this principle and, and apply it to my life. The solution, I believe, to staying on our boards, focused on what's ahead to get to the end, is a three-letter word. When my daughter, Tasha, was young, right now she's 33, she lives in Winnipeg, she's serving at a wonderful church there, but she could not keep a secret, like no secrets, do not tell this girl anything. So the kids got together and they said, we're buying dad a Father's Day present. And she said, dad, like, we bought you a present, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay, I'll give you a hint. It's roller blah, roller blah, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Of course, it's rollerblades, right? Like we got him rollerblades. And it's funny, you know, because we've been given really the secret and the gravitational pull that's going to keep us on our board. We've been given it to it already, but we're still like, what's the secret, God? Are you going to tell me? You're going to give it to me? When is it going to drop into my lap? And it's been given to us. And that word is joy. He's been given, he's given it to us already. He's given out the way to embrace it, the principles to live it, the principles to hang on to it, and to not let the church be defined by any sense of disbelief, discouragement, despair, because we are not that people. But we have so bought into what culture, you know, the direction it's gone, they've lost their joy. 
and it's already been given to us. It's not like we're trying to figure it out. We've been given a clue. It has been deposited in our lives. And so that's why I think Philippians is the most beautiful book right now to read in this cultural moment because Paul talks about this word more than any other. So I'd like to read a bit of the scriptures from Philippians 1. And I still love to use this old-fashioned Bible with real words. And I'm just going to read you part of it, and then we'll pray. Philippians 1, starting with verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true. Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words, these words written thousands of years ago, but inspired by you. Would you plant a seed in our hearts today that will transform the way we think, live, act, believe for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are some of the uh, secrets from Paul? I kind of love Paul, but I really hate Paul because I feel like he doesn't know what it's like. He doesn't know what it's like to live in this world where I'm always being disappointed. I want to be happy, but life did not turn out the way it plan I planned. Can any of you raise your hands and say life has turned out exactly as I planned it? Yeah. I was watching King Richard the other day on the plane, actually on the plane as I came here, and it's Venus and Serena Williams' dad. And he had a plan to get them out of Compton, California, and on to be tennis professionals. And he made those girls follow the plan. It was because of his commitment to the plan that they made it. But there were a few times where he had to change course and say, this is not the plan, but I have to go this direction. And I wonder when God asks us to change course, how willing we are to do it. It's like, but I had a plan. I had a plan. And God says, instead, there is something else. And so there are two kinds of joy, right? We speak about joy. There's joy because of. So our daughter, uh, who's almost 30, her name is Helena Grace, and she is very grace-filled. She used to say to me as we watched Say Yes to the Dress on Friday nights, <laughs> Mom, will I ever find love? And I'm going, I don't know. I really don't know what to tell you. Will you? I don't know. There's no guarantees. I know God loves you. That's not the answer she wanted, but she has gotten engaged, and she is getting married next year. And so we have joy because of happy events. But then there is joy in spite of. Last year, my sister and I um, journeyed with my older sister as she battled and took her final breath as she lost the battle with cancer. And it was hard to see, but because of her joy, she never complained that we knew of, never heard her complain ever. Something in that was contagious. And because of her strength, and her joy in the midst of deep, deep, deep suffering, we could come away from that experience, certainly with loss, but with joy. 
So as long as you think that happiness and joy is going to come with the next wind of change, you're always going to be looking for something other than what you have, and you'll fail to find joy in the present. I mean, I've been looking to get back into my hard jeans, not the ones that have the elastic waist <laughs> before COVID. I mean, I, I dream of this. It's like, then I'll be happy. But if it's not happening, can I be joyful? Can I be joyful still with the situation as it is? This second kind of joy, joy in spite of, is the kind of joy that Paul experienced and he wrote about in the book of Philippians. Now, I like to think about, is Paul, if Paul was alive now, where would he be? I feel like he'd be in a huge church, like on a huge platform wearing like Nike and Versace, I don't know. Whatever, whatever big celebrity pastors wear or do, Paul would be that guy. He had amazing salvation experience. He would have tons of followers ministering the gospel as only he can. He was an amazing guy. But his life was so much different. He wrote most of the New Testament not from a platform with a mic, with PowerPoint, and a worship team leading him on. He was in a different situation. He was in prison. So as we come to the book of Philippians, we need to know some of his miserable circumstances, because it might make you feel a little bit better about yours. <laughs> he spent two years in Caesarea for a trumped-up charge. Then he's put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero, who hates Christians. He knows he's going to die. So on the way, he's shipwrecked. He's stranded on an island. He gets bit by a poisonous snake. He wastes the winter there. He continues to Rome, but he spends another two years in prison awaiting trial to be executed. It sort of sounds like life in the pandemic, does it not? <laughs> what we've been through. And on the way, um, actually when he gets to Rome, he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And every four hours he gets a new guard. He has absolutely no privacy. But in Philippians 1, 29 to 30, this is what he says. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We're in this fight together. You've seen me suffer for him in the past, and you know I'm still in the midst of a, this great struggle. Yet in spite of all of these circumstances, Paul says in Philippians 1.18, I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. And maybe some of you are facing this right now. You're in the middle of a great struggle, and quite honestly, you don't know if you're going to be around to to last another day. We've seen people going down <laughs> during the pandemic because they've just given up. You have no idea if you're gonna be still standing with that, when that bell rings. You're wounded, you're bloodied. You've quite literally had enough. You know, a few years ago, um, I've always been active in sports, but I've never been good at sports, just to be honest. But I took lessons, some ski lessons, and I was coming down the hill, and I thought I was the girl in the James Bond movie. Uh, like, my hair's flowing behind me, and I've got the goggles, and I've got the one-piece ski suit, and I thought, you know, I'm doing great. And then my ski instructor turns back and yells at me, Kathy, ski the hill, don't let the hill ski you. And really, I was coming down like this. <laughs> this was me. And I think that's how we are in life. We let life tell us how we're going to live. We let the circumstances define our journey, and we respond to it 
and we're all tied up in knots, and we're anxious, and we're fearful, and we have lost our joy. This tsunami in real life can either cause us to do a couple of things. We're just going to drown in the waves. We were talking last night, you know, sometimes people just leave. They burn out. They fall off the side. They walk away from the faith. They said, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. Sometimes people just plateau. They said, I'm, I'm sort of in, but I'm not going to go back to church. I'm okay doing things on my own. I'm just going to coast the rest of life. But Paul and you and I, we can make the choice to flourish. We're going to find our joy. We're going to reach our destination standing up straight on our boards. I'm challenging you this morning from the words of Paul to be a joy rider, to ride above the waves of the tsunami. And here's the first principle from Paul. You need a perspective to live from. A problem is that most of us are looking at life upside down. We're looking at circumstances from our own human vantage point and not from God's. In his remarkable book, Three Pieces of Glass, Eric Jacobson has a simple idea with profound implications on the way our perceptions have become warped and misaligned from God's. He says that three pieces of glass are killing us. And I'll share two of them. The great threat to your family and community is not the next presidential election. I'm sorry, that's not it. It's not the next prime ministerial election, although you think that is the greatest threat. That's not it. It's not the global economy. It's not the war in Ukraine or global uncertainty. It's not that. The great threat is that you will skim your life and miss the ordinary wonder and magic happening in the most important and sacred relationships that God has given you, including your relationship with him. Why? Three pieces of glass, the smartphone screen, is distracting us. The average American and Canadian touches their phone 2,600 times a day. Not a week, not a month, not a year. 2,600 little taps on that little thing. The average young person touches their phone 5,000 times a day. 5,000 times a day. The average Canadian American spends two and a half hours staring at this screen each and every day. So even the most committed believer, even you, even I, yes, guilty, will consume only a fraction of what you're hearing in this amazing community right here. You'll consume only a fraction of what you're receiving of the life-giving words of God compared to what you're consuming from podcasts, YouTube, and Netflix. Because we only have so much capacity to receive information. The second screen is the TV screen, the Netflix screen, the live streaming screen. Everything's available there. And while our phones are a distraction, this is a way for us to escape. You know, how many times I've sat on the couch after a long day, you know, I, with my robe and dangly earrings eating chocolate, and I, I just go to Netflix and I forget that Jesus is sitting next to me and he's watching the same thing I'm watching. And I don't know if he really likes it, but I don't really ask him. I just go like, you know what, God, I hope it's okay. I'm just going to escape, like from 8 to 10 every night. I hope you don't mind. I'll be back with you. But all those hours have to be accounted for. There's no idle words. There's no idle 
hours. There's another book I've, I've been reading um, called 4,000 Weeks that says you only have 4,000 weeks generally in a life to live. And if you think you have all the time in the world, if you think you have an extra two hours and a half a day to, to live stream or do whatever you're doing, you're going to just say, I've got all the time in the world. I can give this time to this pursuit. But if you think you only had 24 hours to live, how would you spend your time? Would you be on a screen? Would you be live streaming? Or would you be getting with the people that matter and having the conversations that matter? And I think we always have a way out. We always say, but the, the problem is, it's my pastor, it's my church, it's my husband, it's my kids. You don't understand. The problem is, no, the problem is you're distracted and you're trying to escape. And Paul says, you need to live right in the middle of your circumstances. Is this what we were designed for? To be distracted as the priesthood of believers? To be ambassadors and distracted and get off purpose? Paul says in verse 12, chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I can see the best in the worst. I can see the best in the worst. I can see God at work in the problems even when they don't go my way. Non-believers are being witnessed to in my attitude toward them. Believers are being encouraged, and as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else. I'm in chains for Christ. If I know why I'm here, they know it too. But if you're always saying, like, why, God, why am I here? Why did you, like, I had these plans, and you put me here, and I didn't get the guy I wanted, and, you know, I'm not a size six. If you're always saying, like, God, then other people are going to question what God is doing in your life. But if you know, I know why I'm here. may not have been my plan. It may be the instead moment. They're going to say, she knows what she's about. Her words are not idle. She knows where she's going. So this is so interesting because here Paul is captive and you may feel like you're very captive in your circumstance. You don't have a way out. Here he is in prison, right? Like chained to a guard, like he's really got no way out. He's not going anywhere. Chains are chains, right? So guess who's, guess who's watching over him? He had a dream of going to Rome. You see it in all his writings. I just want to get to Rome. I want to have a big stadium experience. I want to have a revival moment. I want to preach the gospel. And that's a good thing. But God says, yeah, you're going to Rome, but you're going to be in prison. He goes, like, prison? So instead, God puts him in prison where he writes the New Testament. And we're looking at his words today. He's chained to the palace guard, the Praetorian guard, with the crack elite troops of the Roman Empire. These are not ordinary guards. These are influential guards. They're the highest paid people of the empire. And when they retired after 12 years, they were promoted and made leaders in Rome. There's not a more strategic group in Rome that Paul could witness to if he's going to reach the Roman Empire. Hello, God. How amazing is he? God puts Paul in Rome, Nero pays the bill, and chains a future leader of Rome to him every four hours. So in two years, at four-hour shifts, Paul had the opportunity to witness 4,380 times to his guards. And you know how many of these guards came, became believers? They had an inside route to the emperor. And as a result, some of Nero's family became believers. No mind that he, he actually murdered his wife 
and his mother and his children for becoming believers, but they were believers and they died going with Jesus. How interesting that Paul was a captive and God puts in front of him a captive audience. See how your perspective can change? Where are you right now where you feel changed? I cannot get out of this. God, get me out, get me out. Instead of God, what do you have for me in this place that I never chose? What is your instead moment? You know, the perspective you need to live from, if you're going to have joy in your life, and I hate to say this because some of us hate the scripture, all things work together. <laughs> all things work together. God works for the good of those who love him. So I just want to say one thing to you that I hope that I have permission to say to you. You know, I've railed against God a lot of times in my life. When I was involved in worship and music and everything, God changed the direction of my life without permission. He put me into, like, leading, you know, women's thing, and I'm going, I don't like women's thing. I actually, you know, pink doilies, and no, no, thank you. That's not my deal. It's never been my jam. I'm like, I'm a creative. I'm a, and he said, like, that's done. And I fought against it. I go, like, that can't be done. This is craziness. And so, you know, like you, I'm like, God, are you kidding me? Like, and I, I, I literally have raised my fists to him. I'm not proud of it, but I have done that. And I go, like, God, what risk did you ever take? What risk did you ever take? Like, what, where's the skin off your bones? It's like, ah, ah, the reminder, the reminder. When did I get so mess, messed up in my thinking that I forgot? Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Nobody around him wanted that for him. They said, God, like, you've got to set your kingdom here on earth. You're a leader. You're a born leader. And instead, he gives it up for you and for me. And I think we're in a culture, church, and I'm including myself in this, where we think that we have rights. It's our right. The government should not be treating us this way. The economy, I should not be paying this much for gas. It's not right, it's not right. I have rights, I have rights. No, you have the privilege. You have the privilege of serving God. You have the privilege of suffering for him. And the other thing, you need to live a clean life. Clean, pure. These are what I believe in this cultural moment will define the church, a humility where we're not demanding things, but we're saying, I align myself with the God of the universe who put aside everything to pitch his tent among us, and I'm going to live a pure life. I'm going to live a clean life. I'm going to make choices for the long game, not to satisfy my immediate desires. This is the church. This is the church that Christ died for, that he shed his blood for, and you're part of that, and so am I. I just hope that uh, these words are not hard to hear because they're hard for me to swallow, to be honest. Am I pure? Am I clean? Am I humble? No. <laughs> But I want to align my perspective with God's. And second, you need to live by your priorities instead of problems. 
How many of you go to, you know, the arcade or whatever at home? We have the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. And, you know, that game where you want the big prize, the big bunny? And what do you have to do? You have to whack moles. And so one mole comes up and you oh, whack that one, whack that one. And you keep whacking moles. And you know what? We live our days mole whacking. Like, here's a problem. Put that one. I got that one. I got that one. I got And it's like the prize. You're never going to get the prize because you're so distracted by every problem. Problem, 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 problem. How you spend your days is how you spend your lives. If you're spending every day whacking moles, your life is going to be a mole-whacking life. You're never going to know what the priority is, what the call God gave you is like, look up. Quit, quit, quit trying to deal from problem to problem. Paul says, look, not only am I in prison, but if you want to kick a man when he's down, there are guys out there attacking my ministry. I'm in prison, and they're going after me. They're jealous. They're envious. They're rivaling me. Other ministers are criticizing me while I am in prison. If you want something to steal your joy quicker than anything else, just start listening to what people are saying about you. It'll kill you. It does a number in your head. You go on social media, and you don't... You don't you don't compare. You can't match up. You never could. And they're criticizing me, and I've given my life for this thing. Are you kidding? And we see leaders following, Christian leaders, godly men that are saying they're paying attention to the problems, and they're forgetting the priority. And this is what Paul says in verse 18. But what does it matter? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I... I rejoice. Paul said he wasn't going to let anybody steal his joy, not circumstance and not the critics. And I think more than often, it's the critics that steal our joy, not the circumstances. We want everybody to like us, say nice things about us. And those critics will eat away at our sense of identity, and we forget that we're sent as children of God into the world. And Henry Nouwen says, that's our identity. And we can receive the praise and the blame, because our identity is as a child of God, and that's how we are sent out into the world. You know, it's so interesting when Paul says, what does it matter? This is the only question in the book of Philippians. It's a question of priority. And in Greek, it literally means, so what? So what? It doesn't matter. How freeing is that? Here I am in chains, all that stuff going out. I can't control it. I can't let my mind go there. It's negative energy. I have no space in my brain. It doesn't matter. Mark Sayers, who's a brilliant prophetic pastor and author from Australia, he's written a book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And he says that, you know, we know we live in a global world. And it's great that we have global access. We have the internet. But he said, actually, it's caused more conflict and anxiety than ever because anxiety goes viral. If you're anxious, I'm not surprised. What have you read on your screen before you've gone to bed? What have you woken up to? I get the New York Times on my phone. I do check it every morning. And a few days ago, the article was called, Is the World Falling Apart, or Does It Just Seem That Way? <laughs> and if millions of Canadians and Americans are asking this question, is the world falling apart, or does it just seem that way? You might be asking it too. But Paul is saying, even if it is, God is doing his best work. The gospel is 
is, is going out to his purposes are never thwarted. So you need a new perspective. You need to live by priorities and not by problems. You need a power to live on. Guys, like, I'll be honest with you, I'm not young anymore. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm tired. Like, I don't know what I'm tired from. I'm just tired. And I think, I don't even have the capacity to show up somewhere like I used to. What's going on? And I'm reminded of the words in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And how do I get that? And Paul says it's two things. It's the prayer of believers, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. My husband and I are involved in a church plant um, back in our neighborhood um, outside of Toronto. And it's amazing because I'm part of the prayer team, and twice a week I get to be part of this prayer team, and I hear these young men and young women praying passionate prayers for the church. And they're not only praying for the church, they're praying for me. And I come away, I feel strong. I feel like I can do another day. They've prayed, and the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, he prays on our behalf. When we don't even have the strength to pray, we don't even know what to say, he groans, and he takes the issues of our life to the Father. He says, I've got you. I've got your back. I'm the strength. When we try and do it in our own strength, we are going to fail. Your church, sign up for that group, like now. Sign up, sign up. You need your people. You need your circle. You need people to pray for you. You need to pray for them, even if you don't feel like it. Speak the words. Ask the Holy Spirit for strength. You need these two things. You don't want to go down. You're strong. And I think we have been so devastated by everything that's happened to us. We've forgotten what we carry. The resurrected Christ is in our body. And the Holy Spirit is our deposit, our seal. Nothing will remove you from God's hand and purpose for you. It's like being grafted. You know, when something is grafted, when vines are grafted, it's not just planting in, but the fibers open and you are grafted into the Holy Spirit, Father God, and the Son. And nothing can move you. Nothing can take you. You can't just walk away. You can't just leave that without God giving you permission to. And the last thing, church, <laughs> you need a purpose to live for. You know, Paul's old and tired too. Like, wouldn't you be four years in prison? Like, it's not a lot of movement. During the pandemic, I just started a new thing of walking 5K a day. And everybody in my family is on Strava, that app. I don't know if you have the app. So, like, I call myself the Strava sloth because, you know, I'm walking five day and I'm not walking that fast. My son just completed 100K. But I went on and I filled my mind with worship music. That was my strategy. That kept me focused on my purpose. And it's a little thing, but we forget. Paul says, my purpose is to know Christ and make him known. What's yours? Have you lost your perspective? Is it lost somewhere in the glare of a screen? Are you so worried about what other people think about you that you're spending time on that? Are you worried about all the problems, not only in your life? My husband's always yelling at the screen, um, you know, when the Toronto Maple Leafs get out on the ice again. It's like they're not going to win, okay? So just like, don't use that energy on that, but he's yelling at the screen. And that's a problem. 
but it's not your problem. What does it matter? The purpose that God has for you. And how would you finish the sentence? For me to live in, I'll ask the worship team to come now as I close. For me to live is what? Is it pleasure? Is it popularity? You know, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and um, I loved my time there. It really defined me. I felt a call of God in my life. But it was time to come back for the five-year reunion, and I thought, you know, I'm looking pretty good five years out. Um, had my hair and, you know, the right outfit, and I think all the cool people that I went to school with, um, you know, going to be back with the popular people. Well, none of them showed up. They just couldn't make it. Five years later, at year 10, I go back for my reunion. It's pretty broken. At that time, I'd struggled. Didn't look so good. And you know who showed up? The broken people. The real people. You know, things that in our lives, things hadn't gone as, as we planned. But instead, God was doing a deep work. Pleasures don't last. Popularity doesn't last. Paul had a long-term goal. His purpose went beyond the grave. He lived with the values and purpose of identity. You know, you can live your life for many things, but only one will last. We know that. We know that. We know that. But we're addicted. We're distracted. We're escaping. I'm just saying, you know, get on your board. Get on your board. Embrace joy. It's going to keep you there. Keep your eyes on, there, on, on the prize, because for the joy set before him, who went to the cross? Christ. He did the hard thing. He took the big risk. So it's not as hard for you. You just have to lean on him. You have to find your strength in him. Would you get God's point of view today? Would you live by your priorities and not your problems today? Would you receive power to live on from Jesus by positioning yourself in a community of prayer and inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you with power? Would you live with the purpose higher than yourself that is linked with eternity, with the God who created you? Amen? Let me pray for you, church. May Jesus miraculously deliver you from the fear and anxiety that threatens to overwhelm you. May he set you in a spacious place so you feel less pressed by the enemy of your soul. May he shore you up and strengthen you so you can clearly see things as they are and not as they seem. May joy fill your heart right in the midst of your circumstances. It's time to reset your perspective. It's time to live by priorities instead of problems. It's time to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time to live on purpose. Church, God has peace for you here. He has joy for you here. He has provision for you in this place. Look to him and you'll find life again. And may you spend the rest of your life getting to know the love of God and the promises of God. May you spend every moment seeking the face of God. He deserves your trust. He's a good God. It's impossible for him to fail you. And may you be a joy rider. Cresting the waves of the tsunami, confident that God will carry you over to shore at the right time. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.